Hi, I'm Cameron, and I don't just read comics, I love them. Welcome to Episode 7 of Cameron Reads Comics. Today's episode is the first of a series that you'll see on the podcast. I think I've made it clear why I'm doing this podcast in the first place, to share comics. So I started a new series where I give someone who's never read a comic something to read. As someone who is super invested in multiverses, publishers, and character lineages, I think it's my job to use that experience to give new readers books that they can jump into without being bogged down by 80 years of continuity. I try to choose books that exemplify my favorite parts of this medium. So today I invited my good friend and coworker, Hannah Bader, to come read her very first comic. Today we're reading My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies by Ed Brubaker and John Phillips. This graphic novel is an image publication that takes place in the criminal universe. It includes some of my favorite artwork by Sean Phillips and masterful crime noir writing goodness from Ed Brubaker. As always, here is your spoiler warning for My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies, and also there's going to be some moderate spoilers for your favorite David Fincher films. You have been warned. Now we're going to get into the summary for My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies. Our story opens on a beach. A blonde young woman is staring at the sea with her toes in the sand. The woman's interested in music and mentions singer-songwriter Vic Chestnut's song, Stevie Smith. The song is about a man who dies in the ocean, performed from the narrative of the dead man, and she reiterates the lines, I was much further out than you thought, and not waving, but drowning. She finds herself at the ocean, and she's always reminded by these lyrics, not waving, but drowning. The story cuts to what looks to be a rehabilitation facility and leads to a group meeting. The woman from the beaches there, our protagonist, Ellie. During the meeting, a man is yammering about a grotesque, overdramatic story about how he was in deep with some drug dealers. Ellie's narrations on top of his storytelling reveal that he's lying. Todd, the storyteller, is more simple than the story that he's painting. He's lying about his addiction so his wife doesn't find out why or how he really lost all of their money. Ellie goes through the rest of the people in the group explaining their circumstances. Todd was a liar, Lois did oxy, Ken was into cocaine, etc. Eventually, the group's discussion leader looks at Ellie and asks her to chip in her thoughts about Todd's story. Ellie chimes in with an anecdote from Keith Richards. The worst thing you can say about heroin will still make somebody want to try it. She says talking about drugs while you're sober makes you want to do them. She goes on a rant about all the beautiful rock albums that were made by people who were on drugs. The Beach Boys' Pet Sounds... David Bowie's Hunky Dory, and so on. Ellie talks about music a lot because she found a box of mixtapes that her mother made for her father while he was in prison. All of the artists on the mixtapes were addicts. Because of her inappropriate rant at the group meeting, Ellie is sent to Dr. Patty. The doctor is disillusioned by someone like Ellie who thinks that addicts should be romanticized. In Dr. Patty's words, Ellie does this because she wants to think she's special too. As she's being lectured to, Ellie swipes Dr. Patty's cigarettes. During her time in rehab, Ellie found a kinship with a young man close to her age named Skip. With her stolen cigarettes, she invites Skip to smoke with her outside of the facility. Skip agrees and they head into the woods. During this time, Ellie recognizes that she likes him and she knows that he's into her. Later that week on Visitor's Day, Skip meets with a man who appears to be a lawyer. He refuses to tell Ellie who the man was. They reconcile once they're outside the grounds and smoking again. This time, it's with a vape pen. Skip was trying to stay sober, but Ellie doesn't care at all. Eventually, they kiss, and Ellie narrates that she feels as though she's ruined. Ellie remembers as a little girl going to a hotel during a road trip with Jake, the man who watched her after her parents died. She really wanted to stay in, specifically the Joshua Tree Inn, room 8. They got room 4, and she was disappointed. When Jake asked her why... She revealed Graham Parsons of the Birds and Other Bands had overdosed in Room 8. This led to a rant about her infatuation with addicted musicians, and she kept going on and on. Before she knew it, Jake was looking at her with disappointment and sadness. Ellie felt embarrassed because she felt that he was sorry for her. Dr. Patty catches Skip and Ellie wandering off, and when she finds them, she makes them take drug tests and reminds them that they are both adults. When they go to bed, Ellie once again breaks into Skip's room. They have sex, and Ellie comes up with the idea that they can run away. 
She says that the world is a pile of shit, but it's their fault that they want to escape. Why are they living by other people's rules? They should be who they want to be. Ellie reminisces about the first time she saw her mom using heroin. She hid in the bathtub while her mom ejected herself with her friends. Ellie describes her mother in that moment as flying like a beautiful bird. On their way out of town, Ellie and Skip break into a pharmacy and steal some drugs. They drive around, finding a house that they can trash. When they see one that appears the owners are on vacation, they break in. Ellie describes the time together as holy bliss. They both get wasted and make love on repeat. She says, what young, what young lovers don't secretly want this? To be bandits on a lost highway, running until it all burns down. Skip and Ellie reveal truths about their lives to one another. Skip harps on the fact that his dad is a real asshole who ruined his life. Without going into detail, he mentions that they had to go into hiding and relocate. As Ellie goes about town, she notices that a car is following her. Ellie makes a call and tells whoever's on the other line to back off and that she's doing it. She convinces Skip to go and bail with her. The next location is a house in Santa Teresa. Skip and Ellie realize they're running out of money. Ellie tells Skip to go home and steal money from his wealthy asshole father. This is when Skip tells Ellie that his father's in witness protection and the feds are probably at his house. Skip's father was a crooked attorney. As she's selling pills, Ellie notices that she's being followed by the same guys as the last town. She pulls a gun on them and tells Chester to back off. Ellie tells him that she needs one more day and they say that she doesn't have it. They follow her back to the place and Ellie finds Skip sleeping on the couch. She wakes him up and says that Skip needs to tell the men what they want to know and he won't get hurt. He needs to tell them where to find his father. Ellie apologizes, crying, and leaves the room. Skip yells, Ellie! Ellie! One goon looks to Chester and asks him, Who the fuck is Ellie? Chester says, No one. On the phone with Leo, the man who put her in rehab, the now-revealed Ellie is a girl named Angela. Angela tells Leo that she provided him with protection. Leo saved Angela, so Angela just saved Leo. The story cuts back to Angela at the beginning on the beach. She's thinking about her mother. Her mother never told Angela where all of the hurt came from. She thinks about a life that she could have had without the hurt. When the world was perfect and all she knew was love. We're just going to get into it. Let's so, get into it. Hi, Hannah. Hi, Cameron. Tell me about your relationship with pop culture and, like, mm -hmm. fandom and, yeah. Pop culture and fandom? And just your relationships. We we talked about this a little bit before. Yeah, like my Game of Thrones stuff. Yeah. Yeah, so I don't have a huge background in it up until Game of Thrones, probably. Mm -hmm. It was the first time I got, like, really, really into something that was, like, a... What's the fandom? Is that the word that you use? Uh, like yeah. a big, like it's got a big, like following. It's got like a Comic Con presence. It's got like a. Yeah, like like comics. I like sci fi. I actually don't know what you would call Game of Thrones sci fi, but a little bit. Um, anyways, yeah, that was my first experience with um, really like loving one and sticking with it. And um, my friends and I dressed up for the premieres not even for like halloween we had like watch parties and we would go as characters and we'd have themed dinners and it was like a culture that we had created wow which is great um and then that was followed closely by handmaid's tale and i'd never read the books just watched the show um that we did do for halloween costume and i gotta say we nailed it can i we just tell hannah and i work together we've known each other for a long time and you like, tell me your story. Tell the audience the story that you told me about. I don't know which one. Your Handmaid's Tale 
So you guys went to the bars or whatever on Halloween evening. Well, the best part actually was that it was a year that Halloween, I think it fell on like a Wednesday. And so nobody really knew is Halloween the weekend before or the weekend after. And like me and like my five, five of us total. So me and my four other like best girlfriends, we were like, no, it's for sure the weekend before, obviously. And so we like... We had one of my roommates, she's, uh, like, just a phenomenal sewer and, like, craftsperson, and so she made all these costumes for us. So she made us, like, the bonnet that covers your eyes and the big red capes, and we bought red, on like, um, long sleeves, and we all had brown boots for some stupid reason, and... Completes like, the look, obviously. It completes the look, but, like, why we all owned a couple pairs is, like, embarrassing, but you know, whatever we did, and so we were like the night, like the weekend before, we were like let's fucking go. Am I allowed to cuss on this? You're allowed to cuss on. Oh, this. thank God, because so- I have a horrible, <laughs> horrible. This is a we we understand <laughs> that this is a mature comic book. Okay, so, okay. Just and, you, and also, you can go into full spoilers. So like, oh good. I'm summarizing the whole thing before this is even recorded. Okay, perfect. Um. So yeah, it's the weekend before Halloween and we're like, for sure. Cause if it's the weekend after Halloween, it's not October anymore. So we're like, no, everyone's going to do it the night or the weekend before. Um, and that was Friday night cause we love Halloween. So we had one costume for Friday, one costume for Saturday night, separate costumes. So Friday night was like the big, like handmade sale, like we're all going and, uh, nobody else in Long Beach was, uh, going as anything that weekend as it turns out. Oh my God. So we were like, well, you know what? We're here. We love the way we look like we're going to own this. And so let's just, let's just keep going. Let's go bar hopping. Let's call our Ubers. Like, let's just, let's do it. And so we did all five of us dressed in really creepy costumes with white bonnets. So you couldn't see our eyes. And we were just hanging out at bars, drinking and like walking down the street. We got a lot. I mean, some people got it. A lot of people didn't. I think like. The people who got it were so, so stoked on us. And they would come up to us and then just, like, they would, like, say all these things from the show. And they would, like, repeat all these things to us. And we were, like... And then, like, one lady came up and she was, like, thank you for what you guys are doing. And we were, like, oh, no. No, we're not. We weren't trying to be political. Like, this was... We're not making a point at all. So we just to love the show. She comes up and they're just down with the patriarchy. Oh, yeah. They were, like, you guys are brave. And we were, like, oh, no. No, 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 sweetie. We're not at all. We're just drunk and wearing we're not our... brave. No. Yeah, we're definitely not. And somebody, somebody thought we were, like, the like the cardinals from like the Catholic church. And they were like, Oh, I get it. And we were like, deeper. Also, no, (laughs) like a lot of things were like wrong about that night. It was really fun. We have a really good picture. So many things were right. What was your caption for the photo? I was just like, Oh my gosh. Um, Oh, it was a quote from this show. It was like, like, if if they they didn't want an army, they shouldn't have given us match some magic uniforms, matching something like that. Yeah. I was like, dang, I think I think you commented something like pretty douchey on that on like making fun of me actually, but it was out of love. I guess here we are. But I stuck with it. This is my intervention. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay, so yeah, so yeah, that's just like a like a your window into pop culture. Yeah, and like well, because like I think of comic books as like serialized episodic um, storytelling, and so. Mm -hmm. Uh, a fandom is very similar in a lot of other mediums, you know, like Harry Potter fans are diehard Harry Potter fans. It's right. serialized storytelling. It's, you know, you, you, it's an arc with a character. And so um, I, I, I found that in other fandoms, too. So I feel like, you know, asking someone their relationship with the comics is very short-sighted. Right. You know, it's, yeah. it's like because if you are a fan of something, you're kind of all in the same umbrella and hub. Mm-hmm. Not that I am the hugest Harry Potter fan anyways, but it's really more. I do more- love Harry Potter. And like, I look like Ron Weasley. <laughs> Somebody once thought I was Hermione when I was like 11 at the grocery store. Oh, really? Yeah. And you were like, hello. <laughs> I, was like, yeah. I was like, yeah, she's shopping at this Ralph's in Long Beach. There's that n- makes a lot of sense. There's nothing wrong with Ralph's. This, spo- this episode's actually sponsored by Ralph's. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, as a plug for sure. <laughs> I also just realized that maybe it actually didn't start with Game of Thrones. It might have started with Lord of the Rings when I was younger. No, we we were just talking about C.S. Lewis on the other podcast, so some Tolkien oh. crossover is yeah. very welcome. And um, I want to actually really get going into the nitty-gritty of the comic book fandom. Yes. Marvel Mondays. Tell yes. our audience Marvel what that Mondays. is about and how excited I was when you were talking about it. 
oh, how do I even begin? So I had seen random Marvel movies throughout growing up, mostly because my dad mm-hmm. liked action movies. Uh, not even as well, he liked superhero movies, but he you know he liked any action movie and like. TBS and like TNT and all those like USA yeah. channels. Like they used to play the first Iron Man constantly. So I feel like I'd seen that like probably six times just at some point mm-hmm. in my life. And then when uh, the trailer for Infinity War came out, I was like, damn, that movie looks sick. I want True. to know the whole story. And so you and our boss, Jesse, were big like marvel comic book fans and so i was like all right you know make me a list like how do i i I need to see them all i've seen iron man one i'd seen the first thor i'd maybe seen captain america somewhere in there but again all on tv so like cut and edited and like not the whole and i didn't you know i don't know what i'm watching confession i was a big fan of the toby Maguire spider-man yeah that's a that's an okay confession here this is mostly because though Tobey Maguire was in Seabiscuit. And as a horse girl growing up, <laughs> Seabiscuit is the perfect story. So. <laughs> so the real fandom is horses, ladies yeah, and gentlemen. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Anyways, I was like, make me a list. I need to know more about this whole thing. You guys put together put together a list, and it was not by release date, right? We figured this out. Yes. You, you guys had me watch it chronologically. Yeah, exactly. Like, like biographically. So, you know, instead of. Iron Man number one being the first uh, movie you watched, you watched Captain America First Avenger because that yeah. takes place in 45 and whatever. So Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so I had all the same same group of girls that I do everything with. We started this Marvel Monday because we wanted to all be in this together and it kind of like lined up. Like we had like, I think we had like 18 movies to get through and mm-hmm. we had like 22 or 23 weeks before Infinity War was going to come out. And so, like, I told the girls, I was like, hey, this is what I'm doing. Like, Marvel Mondays, if you guys want to be a part of it. But, like, I'm not taking a week off. I'm not skipping. Like, we're doing this. And all five of us were so committed. We watched all of them every single Monday night. And then there was one week where I think we were like, oh, my gosh, we can't do We'll have to do it on Tuesday. Like, we'll have to have Marvel Tuesday this week. And we did. But we were like, we got to get them all done. And we were... Obsessed. And now she has seen, you're all caught up on MCU films. I am. Oh my gosh, wow. And so she yeah. saw Endgame with the same hype as the rest of us. Oh yeah. So cool. Opening weekend, bought my t- my tickets like weeks in advance, picked out my seat, wore mm. my Marvel sweatshirt, did the uh, whole damn thing. Dang, that's what, dude, God is pleased. Tony Stark I'm... is pleased with you. <laughs> Loves you 3,000. Honestly, that's all I ever wanted to hear. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so now going into what we read, which yes. is My Heroes Have Always Been Junkies yes. by Ed Let's Brubaker into it. and Sean Phillips. Was this like your first proper comic book? Yes. Really? So you, like, not even as a kid? You didn't read any nope. like Archie? Nope. Oh, really? Nope. People had told me to read Archie, mm-hmm. and I was like, nah, I'm fine. And it wasn't because I... <laughs> <laughs> She's like, uh, no. <laughs> I just was thinking... I thought maybe they were just boring. I don't know. And I, I didn't, to be honest, I like growing up, I liked watching movies more than I liked yeah. reading books and stuff. So I was always like watching things and not reading things. It had to be like a really enticing book. I read a lot more now than I mm. did. But like growing up, I was like, just show me the movie or show, show me that I like, I want to see the actors or whatever. And my brother didn't really read comics. And so that would have really been my only window. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So this was my first my first experience completely opening one reading one oh well okay great and then so the i i guess as your window and as your gateway into this mm-hmm. medium mm-hmm. did this text change your opinion about comics as a medium yes and then how um so the thing that i was the most surprised about and it did take me i read it twice and i had a more, more it affected me more the second time than yeah. the first one yeah but, same what I think was the biggest shift for me was previous to this experience. I didn't think that because it's done in like a comic, like a strip and there's like little text per each bubble. I thought there's like no way that they're going to get me to care about a character. There's no way that they're going to get me to have any empathy or feelings or attachment to this story because there's not enough to it. Like I mm-hmm. need more than just like some pictures and a couple words. And then 
I read this one, and that's so not true. Yeah. Like, you care so, so, like, quick. Mm-hmm. Like, instantaneous. It's in, yeah. Especially for something that's really, like, so small. Like, this is a 45-minute read max. So this is a small comic book in comparison to a lot. Or shorter, I should say. Well, like, if you look behind you, those are single issues. That is, like, a standard comic book single issue size. So okay. it's, like, 23 issue or 23 pages, like, you know... That's that's standard. So what you read is really more like we call like a one shot or, you know, a graphic novel per se, Mm -hmm. because, you know, I'd say 120, 150 pages. And so you it's pretty quick comparatively to the other ones, you know, a a, a graphic novel like a seven issue maxi series or other hardcovers. Right. But I wouldn't say you know it it, it was short compared to those. Mm -hmm. But I wouldn't say it was like long either, you know. Yeah. And so. Like you said, you can read through it in 45 minutes. It's quick. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, it gets you to care. Ed Brubaker and Sean Phillips, who his collaborator is, are such masterful storytellers. That are they both the writers? I would say Or does they one are, do the artwork? So they, I would say that they are co-storytellers because I think they've been working together. And that's just a gobbledygook way to say Ed Brubaker wrote the script. So. Okay. The dialogue, you know, even the way the panels are like, what is happening in a per panel basis? That is Ed Brubaker's writing in the script. Okay. Sean Phillips, the the artist, adapts the script, and then on top of that, there's colorers and everything else, and that's why, you know, we, we'll talk about the colors later, but that's why his colors look different than if you. I have another Sean Phillips book behind me to show you, but his colors are totally different, but it matches this story really well. Um, so I guess going in next question, mm-hmm. what did you think about the story? Oh, what did I think about the story? So many feelings. <laughs> so good. the caption, the caption, the title itself is like beautiful. <laughs> Just sums me up. And it does drugs. <laughs> I, <laughs> that's the weird thing. I've never done any drugs, right? Um, but I have like a very, very interesting fascination to people who do them and to drugs. And I'm so curious. I always, I like, I want to talk about them with people. I want to, I'm like, so I'm, I don't know. I'm enthralled by it. And there's a, there's a part in there where she's talking to the, I don't know if it was like the therapist or like the doctor, or like her caseworker or something whatever and like she she says that you are romanticizing she says to ellie oh oh oh. it's after it's after the group therapy meeting where she's like all these great people did such amazing drugs and then she says she says she's romanticizing the idea of addiction and i think in like a really weird way i think i do too even though i'm removed from it but i think also like society does and they romanticize it yeah because you get shows like euphoria and other ones like that who that are really solely based around addiction i didn't know that and even though they don't pose it in a good way they pose it in a way that like there is this like romantic idea behind it and girls start dressing like those girls and girls start doing their makeup and girls start doing all these things like the show and so i don't think i'm alone in that like romanticizing Mm -hmm. of it but that i loved I loved the title, and then I loved that, like, part of it mm-hmm. and the way it ties into her um, her obsession with musicians who are drug addicts is, like, again, very similar to how I feel about them. Yeah, and it's, it's such an interesting perspective, you know, it's, and I think I guess that's why it kind of makes it a worthy story to tell is, like, it is really a protagonist who is in rehab – but does not want to be in rehab. You know, she right. likes being a junkie. Right. And we're, not a standard perspective I think we we see usually, so. No. Well, and, I mean, is she really a junkie? Oh, my gosh. You're right. I loved – you know what I thought, too, if we want to go kind of into story arc narrative kind of stuff? I thought that upon second reading, so obviously – there's a major spoiler at the end where, you know, you find out the main character, Ellie, isn't even Ellie. She's Angela. Mm-hmm. And 
it made me think of like the old trope where it's like never trust a uh, a dr- like a drug addict because it's in there. or it's like uh, an alcoholic will lose your wallet or like steal your wallet and like say <laughs> I don't know, but a meth addict will help you like look for it. <laughs> I'm like, well, I'm like think about it. Like she's a junkie and she's kind of leading him down this rabbit hole, and it's kind of going trusting the old trope where it's like yeah. you really shouldn't trust yeah. an addict. Yeah, totally. I mean, yeah, and then she like. There is there's a line in there that I remember reading about. Oh, she says never trust a junkie, but get some drugs in them, and there are a few things more honest than a junkie. Yeah, and oh my gosh, I'm like that's so beautiful. It's so like yeah. noir yeah. and gritty, and that yeah, that stuff like that. I'm like, I'm so into that. Yeah, it's it. Well, Ed Brubaker is like literally a master class in comic book writing, uh, but I think Sean Phillips in this story, I think his art just stood out exceptionally. Actually, I guess comparatively to not the other comic book art that you've seen, what did you think about the art in this story? I loved it. You did? I mean, I, mean, I we talked about this the other day. I was like, I wish I could frame the cover. Um, It, it is a beautiful it's cover. It's a beautiful cover. And yeah, not what I, again, what I had previously assumed comic books were like, this is very much not yeah, I like but, that. Yeah. My buddy Russell said, Cameron, when I think about comic books, I picture the Crimson Chin from Fairly Odd Parents, where it's just like so campy. It's so accurate, though, right? It's like, it's so campy yeah. and goofy, and you can't take it seriously. And it's like, I I can see the window. And so, like, when I'm trying to, you know, give validity to this medium, it's just like, I'm yelling at people. Yeah. I'm like, the Crimson Chin is super cool and deep, though. <laughs> and then it's like, okay, well, let's. Just, just, just read it, you know. Yeah. And so, um, did, what did you think about the color palette they used? Because what what's crazy is that, like, you know, a lot of it they don't fill in too many of the skin tones, and like some of them, they're not very natural colors. They're mm-hmm. very like pastel mm-hmm. and like even. But then when it's going to uh, the like flashbacks, when it's going to those, it's very uh, black and white and gray. Yeah. So like. I don't know. How'd you, how'd you feel about that? I guess experiencing it for the first time or. Well, I can't say I really gave it much thought previously because I have nothing to compare it to. So yeah. it's hard to say if like that's, if that like really stood out to me. I mean, obviously it's, it's beautiful. Even, even the, I, I liked the old, the flashbacks a lot, yeah. like in the black and white. Um, yeah, I don't know. I yeah, I haven't really. I don't know because I don't know what. Okay, wait. Comic I, book. Actually, so okay. I think I did notice it that I thought it was like really beautiful, and I I really liked it. But I don't know that I was like cognitively aware that it wasn't that it was different. Oh, this is bloody. Here is his. Okay, so I I just handed Hannah the Criminal Volume One hardcover, and it's the same artist. I want you to look at the color palettes on those. Love. She loves the. Jacket. Like, look at those color palettes. You, know, you see how they're like totally different. Yeah, I like, I like the other one better. My heroes have always been junkies. I think is uh, way more appealing to me. Yeah. This one, this one looks more of what I expect a comic book to look like. Mm-hmm. That one looked more like a piece of art. Yeah, you know what's crazy too is like, uh, it's the it's... like look at this guy's face. <laughs> I don't know what I'm looking at. I'm looking at a couple guys' faces, and they're pretty like. They're huge. They're famous. <laughs> Hannah doesn't like big faces, apparently. <laughs> Let it be recorded here permanently. Um, you know what's funny, actually, about that, what you're holding the original series, is that that is published by Marvel. Oh. Ed Brubaker was working for Marvel at the time, and so it is under the Marvel Icon imprint, which is just like a creator-owned, you know, so Ed, Ed Brubaker's like, I want to write my own story, make my own universe, mm-hmm. and so... He put it under the icon imprint, I think, in like 2001. And so now what you're looking at right here is an image comics, which is now where these stories exist and this universe exists in uh, the realm of an entirely different publisher. Mm -hmm. And so he – you can see the creator – Image's whole thing is actually about being like creator-owned work. So they get more percentage of books sold or like more more dimes on the dollar to – their issues selling and they get more creative control over the marketing and branding of their text. And I think you can, 
think what you're showing us is that you are seeing the difference in creative control between uh, Marvel, some, a house like Marvel, which yeah. I obviously love, and a house like Image. Oh, okay. You know what I mean? Like they get to have the final say, or they get to help steer the direction of like the way it looks and like the overall appearance. Yeah, yeah and even I think you can kind of see, I guess, the polish on the series. Uh huh. You know what I mean? It's like they obviously got better at I it. I mean, over and time. that one's very just like matte. Yeah. Finish and very dull for how bright it is, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, it's very. I, I want to say it's almost like two dimensional. Yeah. With the colorways, yeah. like the pastels, like there's a lot of shine on these and stuff. And even maybe this is going a little far, but yeah, the paper quality mm-hmm. on the on the on the books are totally different, which is not something you think about. This but... might be a stupid question. No, it's not for comic book readers. It no. probably is. You're fine. So when you're reading a book like this, mm-hmm. or just like a really really big one. I'm talking about the second. What is this one called? This is the Criminal Deluxe Edition Hardcover Volume 1. Okay, so it's really big, and it's very heavy. There's no chapters. There are chapters. There are chapters. Um, So when you think oh, about comic books... <laughs> she opened up right too. <laughs> <laughs> God, um, I'm good. So that is a collection of single issues. Each single issue makes up like a volume of the series. And so uh, oh, for Criminal, it's it's a... It's anywhere from, you know, three to six issues make up a story arc. Those arcs get collected into volumes. Those volumes are really about the size of My Heroes Were Always Junkies. Mm, And so they'll be about this size. You know, that's as much one story. What that is is a hardcover collection of Mm -hmm. all of those stories. Mm -hmm. All right. So like you said earlier, um, this was your second time reading this. and. Uh, this is also my second time reading this because I was. I remember th- after the first time I read it, I was like, "This is so good." And I, you know, wh- really like when I read something, like anyone else, if you watch a good movie, if you're Succession, you're about to rewatch. You said because it's so good. <laughs> it's so good. <laughs> so I, I read this, and you know, after the twist ending and everything, I was like, "This is masterful and brilliant." I want to share this, and so I was like, "I think." Hannah and I text on a very daily basis. True. And it's not even just like, hey, how are you? What's up? It's just like, hey, Hannah, here's word vomit, you know, of how I feel about this. Yeah. Which also, just quick plug, since you mentioned Succession, ties really well back into this because you don't know Succession, but it's awful and dark and dirty and raunchy and full of junkies and bad people, and I fucking love it. <laughs> and that is the shit I like. Uh, so Hannah's For six- somebody who does none of it. Yeah. <laughs> I'm like, it's like guilty pleasure almost. I'm yeah. like, <laughs> the only equivalent that I have for something like that is like, <laughs> like I, I just binge reality television, and I've been watching a bunch of like 90 Day Fiance, and then like DJ Paula D and Vinny, Vegas X Scape. And, and then like, today you said, do you remember Life of Ryan? I'm like, Oof. Because you were obsessed with Ryan Chuckler. I'm like, what? I was like, wow, I'm going to get my last name tattooed on my shoulder blades because that's what all, all these girls I know like Ryan Chuckler. And so obviously that's why they like him. Obviously, that's why. Anyway, sorry. sorry no, you're good. Upon second reading. Super important. <laughs> so, so because it was your second reading and really, you know, the twist at the end where she betrays him and everything else. Yep. Did you find... Um, like, did, did any of the narration or anything, like, change how, how it uh, you like, received it? Yes. It was like reading two separate books This each time. The first time, I hated her. I had no sympathy for her. I was like, this bitch is cold. <laughs> Cold-blooded. Yeah. And I, you know, again, I, I liked her in the beginning because, like, right off the bat, she's, like, standing out on the ocean and, and, like, just being angsty. And, like, I look out at the ocean sometimes and feel super angsty. That's why I watched Life of Ryan here. <laughs> <laughs> so, like, I'm a sucker for the angst, right? But, like, and then the part where she's, like, talking or when she's list, she's in, like, the group session and she's listening to the guy tell the story. And she's having this dialogue in her head about, like, oh, my gosh, he's lying. Ugh, he's full of shit. I can't wait to get out of here. Made me think about, like, sitting in class in, like, high school or college and, like, more college and, like, listening to somebody tell a story and you're 
the person that's like this guy's so full of shit like can he please stop talking like i hate like i'm so annoyed by him and i was like i get it so i like i like the first time i read it, i liked her in the beginning and then i quickly was like this girl is like horrible like she's terrible and i remember the twist at the end and like obviously i remember that happening and i don't i remember still ending the book and thinking like i i hate her like i did not she was not a character Mm -hmm. that i had any like empathy for whatsoever the second time we read it i was like oh my god i was such a bitch the first time (laughs) (laughs) like i feel I feel for her, like, so much. It was really funny. I was like, I don't know what switched in, like, my personal life that made me have a different perspective on it or something. But, I mean, the part that I could knock it out of my head is the part where she's like, can you, I don't, I'm going to butcher it, but, like, when she's like, can you love, can you like someone or can you want someone or care about someone and know you're ruining them at the same time? Mm, that yeah. I was like, that, for some reason, I, like, skipped over that the first time and the second time. I was like, oh, my gosh, this is so complex. And then, like, her childhood was just so fucked. And, like, she was mm-hmm. just destined for horribleness from the beginning, basically. And, um, yeah, so I had a very different opinion round two about her. Yeah. Specifically. Yeah, I um, I think I feel similarly to you. And there's, you know, like you just said, there's pieces of the text that just jumped out at me as I read this because I, uh, it's almost like, have you seen Shutter Island? Mm-hmm. Okay. So you know that I had never seen it probably until this year. And then, um, but I need the spoiler at the end, you know, spoiler warning for Shutter Island fans, but <laughs> <laughs> it's also like over 10 years old. So, you know, um, you had your time. Yeah, exactly. And so, um, if you watch it, I knew the spoiler, but if you watch it, it's like all these things reveal that he's a patient to you. You know, like he right, never, there's little signs the whole way. He never lights his own cigarette. Every, you know, the way that the Dean or like the warden of the Island treats him, mm-hmm. Ben Kingsley's character, whoever, however he looks in him, it's like very, I guess like sympathetically as opposed to like, like, he looks at him like he's a danger to himself, as opposed to, you know, right. I'm an FBI agent, blah, blah, blah. Right. And so I I, fe- I felt that when I read this. The second time or yeah. the first time? The second, the second time. Because, like, some things would, you know, in the same way they jumped out to me in Shutter Island, I felt like that with this. So here's a piece of dialogue. It's like, oh, when she says, I don't know if I'd have started this if I'd known I was going to like him this much. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, what do you mm-hmm. mean starting this? I'm mm-hmm. like, what? Well, what? I'm like, I'm like, how did that not... Jump out to me, you know? Totally. I had that same feeling. And then the other one was, oh my gosh, Hannah, this is why you're on the podcast. Because I also wrote, how is it possible to care about someone to want someone when you know you're ruining them at the same time? It hits deep. I was just like, wow, that was so good that I forgot I wrote it down. And Hannah's like, been there, done I got it. (laughs) I also really like the part uh, at the end when they're together and they're at one of the houses. And she says, I mean, what young lovers don't secretly want this to just be bandits on some last on some lost highway running until it all burns down. Mm-hmm. And that's like another I think that's another thing that I'm like, I totally romanticize against like criminal movies and like the, you know, the Bonnie and Clyde and the I don't know, all that stuff. That's like just terrible if you're living it. But when you put it in a story, I'm like very enthralled by it. Well, you know, I just think, especially with something like this, it just kind of really reveals that everything is really shades of gray. And it's like, Mm -hmm. however you're positioned in that thing, you know, like if you're a part of it, yeah, you know, we're just two people trying to escape rehab so we can go be together and live this, you know, romanticized life. And it feels romantic because, you know, she feels for this guy and you know that he feels for her. But when it comes to like being an outsider looking in, like, oh my gosh, they just did rehab and la la la, like, whoa, they're making all these wrong life decisions. You know, it's like, I'm sure when you are a part of it, it feels more romantic than necessarily like if you're on the outside looking in. Right. Um, great. Well, you know, I loved, I loved that part. Um, I don't know. We're going to edit this out. (laughs) (laughs) A dead spot. Okay. Actually, what did you, what did you think about the ending? Size. Yeah. Um, 
kind of gave me all the feels. How so? Uh, I mean, I think that you can, as like a reader, you can, you can empathize with her in that position of like, she got herself into the mess of like, you know, actually having feelings for him. But like her pull and her loyalty to the guy who essentially like saved her and raised her is so great. And I just feel like to like, to be able to understand what that's like, to feel like you have to do something for somebody or like that love trumps all the bad that's gonna, Mm -hmm. that you're going to do, but like, you're going to do it anyway. It's like, it's like, it's like a blind loyalty. It's like you like, you're like, I don't care what everything else is. Cause like, I got to do this for this person. Mm-hmm. And he has that whole thing where like, where the, the hotel, the flashback, we're at the hotel room and she's like going off about all these, she's like listing all these guys, all these celebrities, musicians specifically that to, um, what's his name? Leo, I think is his name. Yeah. Like, and she, and she's like, she's just going and she's ranting and she's ranting. And he just like looks at her and he says like, Oh kid. And I love that he calls her that, but when they talk about how like the way that he said it and looked at her made her feel really embarrassed. It like broke my heart for this like little girl. Mm-hmm. Cause she doesn't, I mean, she doesn't even know, she doesn't even know what she's saying and she doesn't know what he's, what the look is that he's giving her. And she's like embarrassed by it. And like being young and being embarrassed is like the worst thing ever. <laughs> I guess like, you're right. You like, don't get over it. And it really like, sticks with you. And I remember every single moment of being embarrassed as a kid, which was a lot. <laughs> and, <laughs> um, yeah. So the whole thing with, with him at the end was just like, it was gut wrenching. Okay. <laughs> yeah, no, I think the thing that really just like punched me in the gut more than anything else. Cause you know, you kind of, before you know, it drops. It alludes to the fact that she's going to betray him. You know, when she see, when she's outside the grocery store and she goes up to the guys and it's like, I need a day. And you know, there, there's other moments where you can, you can kind of see it coming, but the, I think the one that really just kicked me in the gut was when he's like, Ellie, Ellie, Ellie. And the two guards look at each other like, who's Ellie? Oh like, yeah. Oh, like everything we thought we knew is just out the window. Um, I also wrote down at the beginning, I wanted to, there's that story, uh, about, I think another musician where he talks about, uh, I think it's addiction. It's like, what, what's it? it's literally what the book opens up with. The it, scene where she's on the beach. Yeah. The scene where she's on the beach and mm-hmm. it says, She's looking, it's beautiful here, she's talking to a guy, and she was just thinking, and she tells this guy this story, and um, she talks about Vic Chestnut, that's the musician, and pretty much the story is about him swimming out, and I guess he gets too far into it, Mm -hmm. and he says, like, the punchline of the story is, I was much further out than you thought, and I wasn't waving at you, I was drowning. Mm-hmm. Did you feel like how did you how did you feel that that ties into this? Well, I listened to that song. Did you? I did because I was curious. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really good. I liked it. Um, I'm like, okay, you're big chest man. <laughs> but I mean, that was her. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, well, I think she was out further than she thought, even. Mm-hmm. And clearly she's drowning <laughs> just like in life though you know yeah. she's not coming back from this absolutely um i don't know i hadn't i hadn't thought about that specifically like the connection between the two yeah. i wanted to drop that quote in oh yeah that's a good one because i'm like you know I, I was reading it the first time through and you kind of forget towards the end but i'm like that is so relevant and it's kind of a weird beat that they put at the beginning of the story yeah, so do you think, is that before or after? Oh my gosh. Dang. Um. Because they make it seem like it's before, but in my mind, after finishing the whole thing, that's after. I think it's after. Right? Yeah, no, I definitely think it's but after But I mean, now. I don't know. <laughs> I would really love it if they would give a story, maybe they already do, but if they would um, 
I want to know Leo's story. That is actually volume one of Criminal. Give it to me. I'm like, I want to know why he's in jail. She doesn't like the colors, but I can give it to her. Was was that that really big one? Literally, that I just that's picked up? oh gosh, Leo. Criminal is years. an inner like network, so it's a title where actually every volume is separate and it focuses on someone separately, but all of you'll find all of the stories like mingle. So this story is about Leo. No, well, this this story is about. Angela. No, I know. I meant... Volume 1? Yeah, the, one that of, big one. It's one of his first big heists. Because I've only read Volume 1. I haven't read Volume 2. Uh, there's another... There's a lot in this title, but they're all so good. Like, Hannah, if you want to keep reading criminal books, I will keep having you on because I am reading... I'm, I'm reading along with you at this mm-hmm. point, you know? So, um, another another person who's been on this podcast, who everyone will know by this point, Jesse who Hannah and I are both mutual friends with, he he read Kill or Be Killed, which is another criminal title, and he loved it. So I, we can get you down with that, too. Would you recommend this book to someone else? Yes. Why? Absolutely. Um, well, it's a great story. It's It's a good story. It's easy. Um, it's really beautiful, the story, but also just like the pages and the art, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, I would give it to somebody who was like me, who was like, kind of wrote off comics as like the way I had in the past. Um, but I wouldn't, I don't know that I would necessarily recommend it to just anybody mm-hmm. because I don't know that that world is as fascinating to some as it is to me. And I mean, we talked about this and you gave me the, when you gave me the book, like, like a long time ago, the very first time you're like, this is what you have to read. And I was like, what's it called? And you were like, my hair has always been junkies. And I was like, it's perfect for me. <laughs> like you knew, you knew that it was going to be a good fit for me. Mm-hmm. I have some friends and some people who I can think of who maybe not. Yeah. And you know, I just think about it's, it's, it's a treat to like be able to do this podcast and be able to share comics that I like because, you know, I, I assign books to people based on, you know, my experience with them. So mm-hmm. I have a, I have a buddy who we're going to record unbeatable squirrel girl, which is a, um, it's a big comedy book and it is so silly and funny, but it's also so meta and real. And I'm just like, Oh man, unbeatable squirrel girl is so smart. But I don't know if it – if you haven't read comics, I don't think that would give this medium very much integrity or or it wouldn't convince someone to, like, pick up something else because, like, m- my goal when I share something is let me give you something that I, I, I know you'll like. And yeah. It w- my goal is to be able to share this medium that I adore with people, right? And so I'm like, here's something that I don't think you think comics is. Right. And so hopefully, you know, and it sounds like – it changed your perspective on the medium, you know, because mm-hmm. people think comic books are a, a genre and they are not, they yeah. are a medium, you know, it's like, this is crime noir. There's romance, there's humor, there's obviously superheroes and like action packed and even genres within genres. So I'm like, hopefully, okay. So you'd recommend it to someone else. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> and then I guess my next question would be, how would you rate this out of 10? Well, that's hard because my, I don't have this. I don't have like a scale to compare it Just, to because um, I don't. I can't be like, oh, well, you know, this is an eight because blah 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 was a five. But on like but a story I, level, just like a, a narrative, we don't need to talk about medium in that way. I'm really bad at this because I I always feel bad if I give it a low score. Oh my god! But I like to save the highs for the highs. I was talking about this. Yeah. Um. I would say seven. Is that good? That's what Jesse did. Seven? Like, okay, can I explain my seven? Yeah, please do. Okay. This is my thought process. I was interested. I was intrigued the whole time. But I didn't leave it going like, oh my gosh, this story needs to be shared. I need to tell everybody. I am just so happy. Yeah. And like... I really enjoyed it and I had no problem fit, like sitting down and finishing it all in one sitting. So that was not, it was never like I was, I was never bored. 
And like I said, I, I liked it more on second. Okay, seven and a half because the... <laughs> She's like, convince yourself, I actually love this. Yeah. Oh my God, I'm just realizing it's a 10. Um, no, just kidding. Um, yeah, seven and a half is my final score. Okay, okay. Because I have to, I have to leave room for the things I'm going to love, love. Good. And Hannah and I always get in disagreements about something like this because because I always will say, like, this is the best movie ever. He is absurd with his scores. <laughs> like, way, like, you, oh, yeah. like, at the amount of times I've heard you call me and just be like, I just watched this movie. You have to watch it. It was perfect. And what was the movie besides, <laughs> okay, I, I, I already talked about this in the Saga episode, but... Uh, plus one? Oh, plus one with Jack... Um, Quaid. Jack Quaid. Who? He's amazing. He's amazing. I'm like... Because of who his father is. <laughs> Just kidding. I, but I was always in love with his Because name. of the film The Rookie, <laughs> Jack <Dennis> Quaid. Quaid. <laughs> <laughs> um, can get it. Just kidding. You can cut that out. He listens to this, so Jack, <laughs> if you're listening. <laughs> the, oh, no. I was talking about Dennis Quaid. He can oh get it. <laughs> that's the part that's like... <laughs> no, cutting it out. <laughs> um, but, yeah, no. Because for me, this book, this text is a nine. Wow! I literally see that's that's but, a high score. Oh. Have you ever given a ten? Um, it's 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 like this is a nine and a half. Like I just oh think, boy. well, you know, I really read it, and like if you think about what you literally just said about motivating someone to, it motivated me enough to really want to share it with someone. Yeah, and that's you know really that's why we're here right now. Like true, and so, and also it. I really love good pulpy noir, and I just think that this was – it surprised me both times I read it mm-hmm. in different ways, mm-hmm. which is, you know, the, the sign of great storytelling. And so I thought it was exceptional, and, I you know, that's why – I still – I stand by my nine. Um, no, I think that's great. And it's fun. It's like as long as it's fun to read, like it was never a chore picking that up. And then yeah. it, it was – by the time I was done, I was like, oh, my gosh, I want more. So – it was a uh, yeah no I, I give it a solid nine and now I think I'm on my last. I've just learned to to take your <laughs> your nines are my sevens. Mm. Sometimes your nines are my sixes. That hurts me. I know. I'm sorry. But me. we've agreed on a few tens. I think like film wise. Number uh, Hannah. Okay, and you guys are. This is not your last time listening to Hannah. She is going to be coming back because on this podcast, we will be doing a review of the Best Picture nominees for every Oscars. It's not going to be one next year. Well, you know. But, you know, if you look, hang out for a year and a half, you'll, you'll I'll be back. Hannah, I'll put, I'll put books in your hands. Um, but, you know, you're going to be on for that because I think it is so – well, we talk – Hannah and I talk about a lot of movies. Yeah, so. we're film snobs. We are. You're snobbier than I am. Which actually, okay, that brings me to my next question. And this <laughs> is a, 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 a question especially for Hannah. So we were talking, and some of the characters in this book are actually, this, I guess, this is my, by the way, this is my last question for Hannah. Um, I don't know what this question is. Yeah, you do. Um, I sent them to her ahead of time. <laughs> Hannah. I swear I read them, but. So we, oh, we talk about movies it. a lot. We yes. talk about storytelling. Oh, and, my gosh, yes. And so. The characters in this book, you know, frankly, some of them, while they are likable, are also completely unlikable. True. And frankly, I'll say I think they can be quite sinister. In their actions. Okay. In her betrayal, I think that's pretty sinister. And, okay. Um, which brings me to the topic of <laughs> Hannah not being a fan of David Fincher films. Oh, God. So, like, the guy who did Fight Club, Seven, he did Gone Girl. He's done a girl dragon tattoo. I was just going to say with that needs to be said, uh, but okay, I do love gone girl. <laughs> okay. That one. I, I back. And this is about the badass females and I'm learning that right now with you, the listeners. Am I? Well, you hated uh, Angela or Ellie, and then you now you love her, and now you love Gone Girl, where the wife no. kind of manipulates. She's psycho. Yeah, they're kind of. They're both though. psycho. I don't know if they're both psycho. One's loyalty based, and other is actually. Psycho. I think it takes a bit of uh, of being a little bit, maybe not psycho, but like to be able to like frame a guy that you're into. 
mild, it takes mild a spoilers. Bit of... <laughs> well, I guess they're kind of. That, not... Well, we. Spo- I mean, we've been spoiling this book the whole time. The... Okay, never. Never. Oh mind. my god! Except now I'm just realizing that these two characters are the same person. I'm like, no. As in Gone Girl and in, they're both yeah, that's like all... blonde, crazy people who like set up the person that they're that they like. But in Gone Girl, I don't think she really liked him. Oh, whatever. I don't. This is a tangent that I didn't mean to go on. No, that's that's podcast. I don't like David Fincher, but. But I you did like Gone Girl. Okay, so but it wasn't so dark. The problem that I have with David Fincher movies is they're dark. And I, I think, obviously, without the colors in this one, because they're very light, this story's pretty dark. And I thought that this story was very Fincher-esque, and even to the point where we just bridged that gap between one yeah. another. Um, what, what do you think made you like this story more than you would like something that he worked on? Well, the thing that I don't like about David Fincher isn't is it's not the violence, it's not um, it's not the stories. I like the stories he's telling. It's this like grotesqueness to his films that maybe is because it's I'm watching it and not like reading it or seeing like an animation version of it that that might be for me like what keeps what the disconnect is. But when you when you watch Fight Club or when you watch Seven, I don't think I can spoil Seven because, again, it's been out for too long. You can. Okay. The scene at the end with, like, her head in the box, right? Like in the box, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Iconic. Everybody knows it. And anytime anybody at work says, like, what's in that box, at least five of us scream, what's in the box? Like, you know, it's like, (laughs) it's iconic. I get it. And I had no problems with that. I had no problem with Gwyneth Paltrow's head being cut off and put in a box. But what I did have a problem with was how disgusting the scene is with the gluttony guy. And it's just, it's filthy. It's like the the setting is disgusting. The guy's disgusting. The food's disgusting. It's like this, like, dark. It reminds me of when they do um, scenes from, like, Gotham. The series? No, just, like, like when it, like... You know when they're showing Gotham on, like, any movies? It's, like, it's got, like, a darker, like, tone to it all of yeah. a sudden. And, like... It's always in a sewer for some reason, and there's always, like, sewage and, like, weird water dripping. And, like, I hated that. <laughs> the mysterious water dripping. And it's Gotham. just kind of always there. And you're like, why? What? Where are you? Where's the trades in the city? Yeah. And that's, how that, and that's how Fight Club was, too. It was, like, the scenes where they're actually fighting and beating each other up, I was, like, pretty fine with. And I just watched Fight Club, by the way, for the first time a month ago, maybe. That's probably why we started this conversation. Yeah. And could not wait to tell Cameron that I hated it. I was so excited. (laughs) (laughs) And I obviously welcomed that with open arms. Oh, yeah. And again, the thing that I hated about that house or that that movie is the house that they're in. It's disgusting. It's moldy. And I could, like, imagine the moldy smell. And again, there was water dripping constantly. And, like, the sink was rotting. It was, like, there's just something that is so disgusting to me about his movies that they like disturb me a little bit. And so it's not the story and it's not the complex characters and it's not the characters being tortured between good and bad and you changing your mind about them and like how like you can like the really bad characters. Cause I really like to like the bad characters, mm-hmm. even though you hate them, but you love them. And so this book was like, it had all the good parts of what I like about David Fincher and it left out the really disgusting things that I'm just not a fan of seeing. I don't like dirty, rotten houses and mattresses that are like, like they always go into the basement and it's flooded. And I'm like, why? You know, it's like, ah, it's just gross. It's just gross. It's It's just gross. You're just funny to me. (laughs) Like that was very passionate. Um, I feel like you know some of the people too who listen to this are going to be like, I can't, I can't think of that house the same way again. And now everyone hates David Fincher. It's, I'm probably going to have a lot of people hate me because I don't like it. That's fine. Um, um, everyone's allowed. Fight to have Club their... is like a cult favorite, which I get. Yeah, no, it's everyone's allowed to have their own preferences. So um, thank you. That's literally my explanation for that. <laughs> shouldn't shouldn't be a necessary one. But like the characters, you know how you're talking about like the characters are in in my hairs have always been junkies. Like oh, they're sinister and they're. Like, you're kind of rooting for the bad guy, girl, in this, like, 
that's I like those characters. I like those stories. Mm-hmm. And I don't know why the only thing that's coming to mind right now is the town with Ben Affleck. And for some reason, I don't know why. All I'm thinking about is how you're like so rooting for him, even though he's like a really horrible bank robber. <laughs> but you're like, I really want you to get away with this. I think the the one that comes to my mind in that like regard is like hell or high water. Oh, Chris Pine, yes. And that's why we're rooting for him. Because <laughs> he's beautiful. <laughs> so, okay, yes. well, great. Um, that bridge, those, those are my questions. And we are obviously so glad to have Hannah on the pod. So, like we said, it's not her last time. She is going to be around for a while. Um, Hannah, any last footnotes about what we're talking about or any places to contact you or to check or like to check out what you got going on? Uh... Yeah, I mean, you can look at my Instagram, I guess, if you want. What's your Instagram handle? Hannah Bader. Okay. Simple. It's just me. <laughs> That's her name. <laughs> okay, cool. Jokes accepted. Thank you, Hannah. Don't comment about David Fincher. Yeah, please don't. Okay, well, thank you, Hannah. We Thanks appreciate for having me. you. We will be back with you soon. Bye.